You're listening to the Detox and Chill podcast with Megan Dillon and Beck Benyon. We're two millennial women in the corporate world juggling wellness and a fast-paced lifestyle. On this podcast, we're breaking down wellness into digestible episodes that fit into your weekly routine. We're on this journey with you, learning from wellness and lifestyle experts in their fields. From our lighthearted banter, what's the appropriate amount of time to go between shaving our legs? To getting deep about everyday struggles like hormones, societal norms, and gut health, we're your podcast besties. Disclaimer, no late night text needed to detox and chill. Hey everyone. Hey gang. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Wherever, whenever <laughs> you're listening. Hello. Hi. We're so excited to be back with you this week. Um, we just recorded with the most amazing person. He's incredible. <laughs> she, so um, I was initially introduced to Corinne um, through a sound bath healing that she had. So for anyone out there who might not know what it is, because I didn't at first, basically it's, um, crystal bowls that she essentially plays. So there, I don't know like what the instrument is called, but she swirls that around the bowl and it makes a sound. Um, and it was incredible. It was really interesting because she had us First of all, she makes you feel so comfortable when you're going into that class, which can feel a little intimidating for someone who might not um, have experienced that before. But she had us either orient our feet towards the bowls if we needed more grounding or our head towards the bowl (laughs) if um, we wanted a more spiritual experience. So that was how I was initially introduced to Corinne and I think just hearing the way she spoke throughout that I knew that she would be a good guest but she blew me away yeah she was incredible so she talked to us about her struggle with neurological Lyme disease um, chronic neurological Lyme disease so she walked us through that process of healing of you know being in a really dark place and how she got out of that being in an abusive relationship her whole story is just so so inspiring and we were blown away Um, and she talked about expanding your depth of joy which was Mm. like just so good if you think about that statement Mm -hmm. it's huge so we'll get into more of that in the podcast but um we love Corinne so much yeah and she has just so much experience Mm -hmm. and one thing we do talk about in the episode which I think is really important for anyone out there as you're trying to you know maybe try some new alternative healing modalities is how to know if someone is legit, mm-hmm. right? Because it, if it's something new to you, I think it's really hard to know. Um, but Corinne has over six years experience in practicing Reiki, and then she's been teaching for over four and a half years. Um, and just like her list of qualifications is mm-hmm. insane. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, she's incredible. Um, and if you haven't heard of Reiki before, you haven't experienced it, just remember to go in with an open mind. I think that's, um, as you know, part of the mission of this podcast is being open to um, many different things in the wellness world, not just having, you know, specific opinions about things. Um, so we just want to open that world up to you. Um, and if it doesn't connect with you, that's fine mm -hmm. too. Um, but if it does feel free to reach out to us, um, we can get you in contact with Corinne or just get in contact with Corinne directly. She gives, um, you her information at the end of the episode. We'll also include it in the show notes. Um, and we just are, we're really proud of this episode and we're mm -hmm. really excited to share it with you. We're so excited. The last thing I do want to mention is for anyone out there who might be struggling with mental health right now, I just want to flag that we do talk about the darker side mm -hmm. of having a chronic condition in this episode and how Corinne really struggled with that, which was so vulnerable of her mm -hmm. to share. But I just want to flag that if you're sensitive to hearing someone talk about suicidal thoughts, mm -hmm. um, you know, just being in a darker place, I would fast forward through that section. We will mm -hmm. we'll include in the show notes where we specifically are talking about that. Um, but if you want to have this experience of the episode, it's just like incredible the way she shared mm -hmm. her whole story. So we're so excited. Yeah. I'm so excited. And we've both been through Reiki before and had, uh, as you know, we've talked about on the podcast, just had a, had a very positive experience with it. Um, so yeah, we hope you enjoy the episode. Um, please feel free to reach out to us, go on our secret Facebook group. Um, we'll add you if you ask to join. Mm -hmm. So don't feel like it's a secret club, yeah. even though it is. Um, <laughs> and we'd love to hear from you on our Instagram, DM us anytime. Um, and we love you guys. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> enjoy the episode and talk to you guys soon bye bye today's episode is brought to you by silver fern one of our favorite brands we had charity light and their chief nutritionist on a few weeks ago um, and we're so excited that they're sponsoring us I have been using the protein powder for a while now and have been loving it. It's completely plant-based and also have has probiotics in it, which is so nice. It's kind of unheard of. Yeah, very efficient. I, As I've said before, I love efficiencies. Um, so I've been using that and the Tino, which is their fiber powder. Um, and that has made a world of difference. So adding that flavorless powder to my drinks, smoothies, even water... Um, is a game changer and also very efficient. So love getting that in. So efficient. Um, and I also recently just got the protein powder. I'd heard you talk about it so much and Charity loved it. So it is just as good as you guys said. I'm kind of transitioning into trying to do a morning smoothie. So I'd been stuck in a breakfast rut for a really long time. Um, and this just makes them delicious. Mm -hmm. It is so good. It's so creamy mm -hmm. and it truly tastes like chocolate. It's so good. It's yeah. like a treat for breakfast. Um, and I personally have struggled with a lot of gut health issues. So I absolutely love Silver Fern's probiotic. Um, and I think what makes it so different is that you don't need to refrigerate it, mm -hmm. which Charity kind of enlightened us that um, 
you know, with some other brands, how would you expect a probiotic that needs to be refrigerated to get where it needs to go in your stomach, which mm-hmm. is obviously above a Not refrigerator temperature? <laughs> um, so we love it. They were so gracious to give us a discount code for you guys as well, which is detox15. D-E-T-O-X-15, which will get you 15% off of whatever you order. Um, And word on the street is that there might be a new flavor of protein Mm, coming soon. So exciting. So you can find Silver Fern at www.silverfernbrand.com. So that's S-I-L-V-E-R-F-E-R-N-B-R-A-N-D.com. So please go check them out. I've been using the coupon code for myself. Yeah. So go check it out. Let us know what you think. Um, and we're so excited for you to try it. Thanks, Silverfern. Yeah, thank you, Silverfern. Can we just like start at the beginning, wherever you feel comfortable, and we can just kind of go from there? Mm-hmm, of course. Um, so I was born on a cold winter's night. No. <laughs> we're going um, way back. <laughs> exactly. The story doesn't start there, um, at least not that far back. Um, let's say that I was always an interesting child. There was always something about me where I was, what people would call shy, um, was more observational. And I had, um, I'm an only child, so I spent a lot of time alone and kind of, um, understanding myself. And, um, related more to adults than kids when I was growing up because I was also the only grandchild. Um, but started to realize that maybe, um, I had, um, psychic abilities, um, when I was in preschool where I would stay, uh, in recess during recess and go through the clothes in the lost and found bin and would smell each article of clothing and <laughs> would tell the teacher who which child it belonged to. Wow. And, you know, that was just passed off as like, oh, Corinne has a strong sense of smell. But <laughs> how would I know what kids smelled like that I've never met before? Mm-hmm. Of course, that wasn't encouraged in my in my childhood. My dad's a veterinarian, very much steeped in Western medicine and mm-hmm. science, and my mom was just my biggest cheerleader, but this was kind of out of her reach. So this kind of all got pushed aside, um, and I guess we could fast forward in my story to the second semester of my freshman year in college, where I started to experience mysterious symptoms. I was going to doctors every like um, break from college. In the summer, I went to maybe eight doctors in three months to try to figure out what was wrong with me. I was losing a lot of weight. I lost 25 pounds. I was losing my hair. I was fainting. I couldn't eat much. I wasn't sleeping well. My body was in terrible physical pain. And doctors couldn't pinpoint exactly what was wrong with me. So it took about two years of being misdiagnosed. Everything from colon and stomach cancer to just needing more salt in my diet or needing to manage my stress levels. But Nothing was really showing up on 
the blood work or any scans. So I was still kind of held in this holding period of figuring out what was going on. And after two years of searching, I finally was diagnosed with chronic neurological Lyme disease. Oh, wow. And yes. And at this point in time, I was seeing doctors in California. And this was around 2010. And the West Coast was denying that Lyme disease existed here. Wow. So if I had been on the East Coast seeing doctors, I'm sure Lyme would have been tested much Mm -hmm. sooner. But being here on the West Coast, it was like, no, impossible. Mm -hmm. And finally being diagnosed with Lyme disease, it had been running rampant in my my system for two years. So I had um, high levels of strep in my body because my immune system was so weak. I had the onset of an autoimmune disorder. I had mycoplasma, which is um, a co-infection. I was just a breeding ground for spirochetes. Mm -hmm. And that's when I started to feel my intuition. As soon as I got the diagnosis and my doctor said, even though you have one semester left of college, you need to quit school, move back in with your parents, and make treatment your full-time job. Wow. And I said, okay, well, what would that look like? What's, what are you giving me here, doc? Mm -hmm. And he said, we're going to do three different types of oral antibiotics for 16 months. And then we're going to install a pick line into your arm and do IV antibiotics for 14 months. So you'll come in every day. We'll hook you up to a tube and we'll start to break the blood brain barrier. Wow. Oh, that sounds like a lot and a lot to wrap your head around all at once. Yes. And as someone who was, you know, bright eyed and bushy tailed, finishing college, had all these opportunities to explore. It was like, this is my life now, Mm -hmm. being sick and going through treatment. And something in my gut when I heard this kind of long treatment plan over a year that just felt like a hell no. Mm -hmm. And I kind of sat with it, did some research. You know, my parents were really supportive. They looked into all the possible side effects of long-term antibiotic use. And my doctor had warned me, if I experienced any of these side effects, we'd have to stop treatment for Lyme and treat these side effects. (sighs) Wow. (laughs) So, and some of the side effects were worse than my already awful symptoms. So it didn't feel like a fair trade for me. So I said, I'll keep that on the back burner. That's my last resort. But let me try anything and everything else. Maybe there was something that my doctor didn't know about, but that was widely accepted or at least talked about in the Lyme community. So this was where I really dove into alternative medicine and healing. I did Chinese medicine, acupuncture, acupressure. I did um, this kind of frequency machine called a rife frequency machine, which changes frequencies based on what's inhabiting your body. Um, I did yoga and pranayama or breathing techniques. I did massage. I did infrared saunas. I did hyperbaric oxygen chambers. 
I tried anything and everything, which basically means nothing covered by insurance or accepted by the medical community. (laughs) And everything kind of showed me how my body was responding to it. So if it was helpful or if it seemed kind of non-existent. Mm -hmm. And I listened for that gut feeling that I had had initially that said, no, don't do it, to see where to go next, to figure out what to try. And after two years of trying a lot of different things, I think at the height of it, I was on 50 different supplements a day and just swallowing handfuls of horse pills. Yeah. And after two years, I felt better in some respects, but if I wasn't sustaining a certain type of treatment, I would start to decline in my health again. And I knew it wasn't sustainable to live in a hyperbaric oxygen Mm -hmm. chamber like the girl in the plastic bubble. Right. (laughs) And I was going to a yoga class, couldn't move at this point in time. Um, I was so debilitated mentally that I couldn't articulate my speech. So I spent a lot of time in silence, which was great for a yoga class because I didn't have to interact with anyone. Mm-hmm. And there was a woman in the yoga class who was offering Reiki. Now, even though I've grown up in San Diego, California, lived here most of my life, and have heard the term Reiki, I always classified that as hippie and Mm woo-woo. You know, it wasn't what I was raised on. Um, But being in this yoga studio, I was already here. I had tried many other things that probably I would have classified as hippie and woo-woo. So I thought, why not something else? Mm -hmm. And the practitioner came over to me and hovered over my body, about a foot over my body. So she wasn't even physically touching me. And I felt fight or flight turn off in my nervous system. Wow. I just got the chills. I know. Oh, wow. <laughs> and it was, I didn't even know what it felt like to not be in a state of fight or flight. Because I had been in that state for at least four years. And I looked behind me and I could tell she wasn't touching me. And now I had visual proof that she wasn't touching me. And I thought, this is wild. I need more information. (laughs) Of course, the yoga studio was like, we're having a Reiki training. You can do Reiki on yourself. You can perform energy healing whenever you want to. I was like, wait, of a treatment plan that I could do on myself that wasn't dependent on going somewhere or sticking something foreign in my body. It was connecting with something greater than me. Mm -hmm. And I felt that feeling in my gut that said, yeah, let's do it. Wow. That is incredible. Like what an incredible story. And the way that you talk about it, I think, I think you've gotten to a place, or at least it seems like you've gotten to a place where, um, you know, you acknowledge that all of those years of struggle are a part of your journey, but you've gotten out of that and you've become so like in tune with your intuitiveness and with your body. It's just so, it's so incredible to hear that. Um, but I would love to go back to during your journey of trying all of the different 
treatments. How did you get through that mentally without getting to that like really dark place that I think a lot of people get to when they're struggling with health issues? Oh, I definitely got there. (laughs) I definitely was in that dark space. I was, you know, spending hours upon hours feeling awful physically feeling like I'm not achieving or pursuing my hopes and dreams and not being able to really communicate with the outside world because Lyme disease, you can look fine, but it's what's underneath the surface that's really um, deteriorating your sense of who you are. And so I spent a lot of time alone um, You know, I wasn't sleeping, so I had a lot of waking hours just being with my pain and suffering. And you can only I could only do that for so long before I started to hope and pray to be released from this world. If this was going to be my state of being, not only was it affecting me and my life, but being an only child, my parents could kind of see all their hopes and dreams for me deteriorating as well and not being able to help take that pain away. So I definitely got to that rock bottom place of wishing for quick and painless death. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was probably a solid year of laying in bed, waiting for the sun to rise and kind of just repetitively asking, can this be the end for me? Can this be the end for me? And it would get to the point where I started to hallucinate from lack of sleep. And after asking for so long, I started to feel as if what I perceived the angel of death to be kind of sitting with me almost like this calm presence saying like, whenever you're ready, I'm here to help you. And I would kind of sit there after my prayers had been answered, so to say, and debating with myself like, oh, do I really want it? Like it might be an easy way out for me, but what would happen to everyone else around me? And I would always get to the point around 6 a.m. in the morning where I'd kind of rationalize with myself and say, I'll give it one more day. Maybe today's going to be better. So even though I hit that rock bottom place, it was an important part for me to experience it within myself because it showed me the depth of my feeling and my willingness to be honest with myself, not kind of push it aside or say, no, I'm going to pretend to be happy or I'm going to think of all the great things because sometimes that leads to a delusional outlook or deceiving yourself. I would look at the pain and my suffering and say, well, I must still be here for a reason. If it's to be in more pain and to suffer more, I don't necessarily know what that is for, but it must be a bigger part of the process and plan. And I know that when I'm done learning from this, it'll be my end. Mm -hmm. But it's clearly not my end yet. Mm -hmm. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think think it's really easy to gloss over the hard parts and just 
you know, reflect where you are now, which, you know, is happily so much better than where you were. But I just appreciate you sharing that vulnerability because I, it must be so hard to talk about. So thank you. Um, of course. I would love because I do think that line before we get into Reiki, because I'm so excited to hear everything about that. But before we get into that, I would love to delve a little bit into Lyme because I do think that it's something that doctors definitely don't always acknowledge as something that's real. Um, So can you just give us kind of what it feels like to have Lyme, what maybe some of the symptoms you or others experience? Um, And yeah, I think it'd be helpful to just get the background. Mm -hmm. So what makes Lyme disease so hard to diagnose and even be recognized is that it has over 300 symptoms associated with it. So it gets misdiagnosed all the time because, you know, it gets isolated into, well, this is your biggest problem, so let's just focus on that instead of saying all of these symptoms are equal to each other and they're all a part of your experience. Um, So with Lyme disease, you can have symptoms from that typical foggy brain, which tends to be associated with Lyme the most, just feeling kind of like shades are over your brain and your eyes, Um, like you're not fully there, but you can't get out of the fog. Um, Some people have splitting headaches. Some people feel just a general flu-like malaise, um, muscle and joint pain, insomnia or difficulty sleeping, digestive issues. Um, On the extreme end, there's neurological issues um, like ability to speak or cognitive function. There could be seizures. Um, um, Muscle and joint pain, which I already said. Um, There could be a lot of different symptoms And doctors mostly look for, well, were you outside and did you have a tick on you or did you get bitten by a tick? And for me, I was living in a city. I was not going outside, you know, into woods area or woodsy area. But I was, you know, outside exploring the city there was grass, I was sitting on it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I never saw a tick on me. I never saw a tick crawling anywhere. I never saw the typical bullseye rash, which is what is a telltale sign of being bitten by a tick. Um, But if if I had a tick that bit me in my hair, I wouldn't have necessarily noticed it on my scalp. Mm -hmm. So... If someone is feeling like their symptoms don't relate, other than the fact that they're experiencing them, I would say get a Lyme test. Um, The problem with the um, Western blot test, or what was previously the gold standard in uh, testing for Lyme disease, is that it had a 30% rate of inaccuracy. Wow, that's big. 
Yes, it's huge. Mm-hmm. So many people could have been diagnosed with Lyme disease and not had Lyme or missed or not diagnosed by Lyme disease and had Lyme but never received treatment. Mm-hmm. And if you don't experience or receive treatment within, I believe it's 72 hours to two weeks, your risk of going into chronic Lyme disease is much greater. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot harder to treat when you're in that chronic stage. Um, so what is the test like now? So you said that was the test before. Has it changed since then? Has, has it become more accurate? Um, the Western blot has not. There have just been more companies that said, we need a better testing system. Gotcha. So um, Igenix was actually the um, lab that gave me my positive results. It's more sensitive. The markers are a little different. Um, it can pick up co-infections as well or uh, tick-related infections. Um, but it's it's usually out of an out-of-pocket expense. Mm-hmm. Um, the labs are on the West Coast, so sometimes it's not even feasible um, for someone to get in contact with them depending on where they live. And most of the heightened states of Lyme disease um, kind of want to keep things in house. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a test that you have to go to an office to take. Sometimes they'll send like the doctor the um, lab kit, okay. and they just have to draw blood. Um, but if the if that doctor isn't mm-hmm. Lyme literate, mm-hmm. as it's said in the community, they might not even know it exists. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, So I want to get into the Reiki now. So you said your first experience with Reiki, you just felt like it was this relief from the fight or flight um, kind of state that you were in. So kind of walk us through after that first session, what did you do and how do you how did you get to where you are now as a Reiki healer? Mm -hmm. So after I experienced Reiki for the first time, I wanted to learn it. I was willing to go to a healer and receive Reiki, but the fact that I could do this for myself was deeply empowering in a state where I felt like I had no power. So I learned the first two levels of Reiki within um, a month and a half of each other. And in that time of learning Reiki, I was dedicated to my self-healing. So I was doing Reiki self-treatments about 10 to 12 hours a day. Wow. Because I had nothing else to do. I was making treatment my full-time job, as per my doctor, and um, finally had a tool where anytime I had a symptom flare-up, I would, boom, call down Reiki, Mm -hmm. connect with that universal life force energy, and found relief in soothing those symptoms as they, as they happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and it took me about three, three months since learning the first level of Reiki to start to go deeper. At first it was, oh, I'm having a symptom. Let's bring my hands to that part of the body. And then it started to become less about the physical body and more addressing my emotions and how I really felt being with Lyme disease. Mm -hmm. 
and starting to delve deeper into those depressive thoughts or suicidal places. And almost as if the energy became something greater than just energy or became a guide as opposed to just a felt sensation where I could feel supported in understanding or at least gaining insight into my life and how I was living it up until this point. Um, even though I never saw a tick bite um, or a tick on me, I started to experience symptoms of Lyme disease at the beginning of a very abusive relationship where mm. my where my boyfriend at the time, um, I dated him for most of college. He mm. was an alcoholic. He had substance abuse issues. He had anger management issues and was physically, emotionally, and mentally abusive to me. But I felt, and he helped to reinforce this belief that I could help him. I could cure him. Mm. All of his problems would go away as long as I was by his side. So I lost a lot of myself in dealing with his issues and trying to fix him mm -hmm. when he wasn't even willing to fix himself. So Reiki started to help me unpack those kinds of emotional burdens of being with an abuser mm -hmm. and also feeling like that was my lot in life or that was what I was supposed to do. Mm -hmm. Almost like it was the good Samaritan act. Mm. And um, so I was moving deeper into my practice with Reiki and really trusting the process. And after three months of doing hours upon hours of daily self-treatments, I was feeling pretty damn good. Mm. I felt I was gaining some weight. I was sleeping um, six hours a night, which was huge. Mm -hmm. um, I could stand on my own without fainting. And I felt strong in my body. I didn't like running, but I felt like I could run, mm -hmm. like I was physically able to now. Mm -hmm. And I went back to my doctor and said, hey, I'm feeling really good. I would like you to see mm -hmm. the proof of, of mm -hmm. where I'm at. And he was like, you know, I can't deny it, but you do look much better. Mm-hmm but I don't really understand what Reiki is or how it's really helping you. Mm -hmm. But whatever it is, it's working. Mm -hmm. And that's when he said, however, I'd still like to do a blood test and see where you're at, mm -hmm. knowing what he knows uh, what to do. Mm -hmm. And he, I agreed to do the blood test knowing that I go with how I feel, not what the blood test says. And it took two months for them to give me my test results back. Two Norm months? Yes. And normally blood tests come in in like three weeks, yeah. maybe a month. So I call the office. It happens to be, um, it happens to be my birthday, my 24th birthday. And... I call the office and I said, I'm looking for my test results. It's been two months. 
WTF. <laughs> and she's like, oh, well, let me see. I'm sure it's here. So she pulls up my file and says, oh, yeah. Yeah, no one calls you when you have a negative test result. What? <laughs> On your birthday, too? This whole conversation is just giving me chills. It's insane. And I was in so much shock that the anger didn't hit me until after I hung up the phone. (laughs) Because after so many years, and I know this receptionist has seen me at my worst, not calling me to tell me that there's now good news. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Wow. (laughs) That's insane. Um, So then I guess I'd love to hear, so your test has come back negative. How do you even begin to process that, right? Because I think when you've lived with something like Lyme for so long, it becomes almost part of your identity, you know, that treatment. So how did you emotionally deal with the fact that it was gone, this thing that you worried about for so many years? Mm-hmm. It was... It was like being reborn. I felt like I had a second chance at life. And I had so much gratitude for every little thing. Any... Any memory that I had about Lyme disease, instead of feeling like, oh, thank God that's over, I was like, thank God that happened. Because if it wasn't for being so sick, who knows what I would have done with my life or what would have been needed to have me circle back and find Reiki. I studied marketing and advertising in college. That was a very different track I was going towards career-wise. So I really started to see the dots connecting in my life of how Lyme disease what was what was needed for me to come back to myself after losing myself in that relationship and to find my purpose in my empowered place of self to use this healing modality not only to heal myself but to now help others Mm -hmm. it felt like a calling like I wanted other people to see that there are other options than just what doctors know or are educated on Mm -hmm. and that there was hope that there was always a possibility that there was more than just this symptom and being sick. Mm-hmm. I'm tearing up because I am just so happy for you. And I, like this story is blowing my mind. I, I mean, I, I knew a little bit about your background before we got on this call, but like hearing all of this, I'm just, I, like, I'm grateful for you. I know. <laughs> How do we get to do this? Right. Right. Like, meet these people and talk with a person like you who has gone through so much and something that I can't even even begin to fathom going through and still having such a positive outlook and just 
I am just blo- like I am like almost speechless right now. <laughs> um, so thank you again. Um, but I want to just get into um, kind of Reiki 101 for those mm-hmm. listening who aren't familiar with Reiki. So can you break that down for us? Yes. Reiki is an energy healing practice that originated in Japan. Now, the history of Reiki is fairly um, fairly short as far as uh, years are concerned. Um, it was developed in 1921. But I kind of look at Reiki as the Japanese perspective of energy healing. And what I mean by energy healing, I mean it's not just using our own energy. We are energy every piece of furniture is energy. It's all vibrating molecules that are vibrating at a different wavelength to make it appear more solid than it is. Basic science. But with energy healing, we're tapping in to the fact that we are energy. So a little bit higher perspective of existence. And we are channeling spiritual consciousness or something greater than ourselves a higher power if you will doesn't have to be associated with a dogma or a religion but just something beyond the human existence so reiki is the japanese expression of that of channeling spiritual consciousness in the form of life force energy to support physical mental and emotional healing which therefore benefits the spirit or our spiritual essence. Now, energy healing is not a new concept. It's something that the Egyptians used. It's something that um, indigenous tribes and shamans would use. It's connecting with something greater than us and bringing in that wealth of information to bring health and good fortune. So Reiki mostly is a light touch healing modality. It's not tissue manipulation or like massage or chiropractics because Reiki can even be used off the body or at a distance. So you don't have to be physically touching for life force energy to flow through. Um, So it's very gentle It doesn't contradict any other healing modalities or medications. It's safe, and it's always working with that individual's highest and greatest good to bring in their true potential and to help bring understanding of what's blocking them from reaching that truth of who they are. I love that. And I, for both of us, so we were... Um, in Philadelphia over the summer and neither of us had ever experienced Reiki before. Um, but they ended, um, the day with a group Reiki session. So Mm -hmm. to be completely candid, I was a little Mm -hmm. bit like, okay, this will be kind of like a meditation. I'll get in the zone. It'll be great. But I didn't really know what to expect. Um, Mm -hmm. but the leader, Kelsey Patel, who is amazing, um, Mm -hmm started doing Reiki and it was and this is me going in being a little bit skeptical I have never felt that way before 
And I don't know, (laughs) like I'm getting emotional just thinking about it. I don't know if it was the energy of so many of us in one room together. I don't know if it was because it was the first time, but it was just incredible. Um, But all of that to say, for someone who has not experienced it before, like do you have any things of like, what you can expect to feel? Does it change for every person? How do you kind of look at that? It's such an individualized experience. I can say that uh, hopefully someone will feel relaxed or just some sort of noticeable shift within themselves, but it might be more subtle than that and it might not hit them right at the time of experiencing it. It might be something that evolves over the next hour or two or even 24 hours afterwards. Um, I would say, ultimately, Reiki just brings you more awareness of yourself. So if that's becoming aware of the physical pain that you're in, that might bring more awareness there or into a deeper layer of it. If there's, um, if you're going through a breakup, you might feel more sensations around your heart or where it needs to go. Reiki always flows where it needs to go because there are meridians or energy pathways throughout your entire body that are transporting that energy to places in need. So that's why you can receive Reiki in one part of your body and feel it somewhere else. So... I would say the best way for someone to go into experiencing Reiki is to have an open mind. It might be more of a meditative state, and that's a good thing. No one says, oh, yeah, I'm good with meditative states. I want to be in stress all the time now. (laughs) So true. (laughs) So even if it's a subtle experience at the moment, it doesn't mean that it will always be that way. Because in each moment we are changing and the energy flows and supports you in this moment, wherever you're at. Um, So I think it's just having an open mind and a willingness to experience it and just say, well, whatever it is, it is. Mm -hmm. And I'm here to just see what comes up. Mm Um, And how does one go about finding a Reiki healer in their area? And how do they decipher between people who are true healers and other people who may just be doing it for the gimmick of doing it? (laughs) Great question, because that is something um, that I think is is becoming more of an, an issue or a red flag in people's minds at this point in time when alternative healing is really on the rise. You know, it's a great time to do spiritual work. I mean, I couldn't imagine trying to do this 50 years ago. No. Um, I, would, <laughs> I would be living in a yurt on a commune somewhere. <laughs> um, but I always like to talk to a healer on the phone. If I can't meet them in person or if they've been recommended to me, of course I'll look at their website Um, just to get a feel. Initial feelings are important. But I like to hear about their practice. I like to hear how they got into it, who they've trained with, what their certification is like. Um, Because there are different types of Reiki. 
So there's shamanic Reiki, there's Yasui Reiki, which is traditional Japanese Reiki, there's Holy Fire and Karuna Reiki, which is a little more modern for the times. Mm. Um, so I like to know what their training is in and how long they've been practicing, if they do self-treatment still, how often they receive Reiki. Because those things are going to tell me how dedicated they are to their own practice. You know, some people are doing this on the side, which is great because we need people having diverse professions in this world. But if they're not continuously dedicated to their own healing, they can only greet their clients at the level that they've gone into within themselves. So I want someone who's continuously dedicated to their inner work, who's going to a healer or at least doing self-treatments on a regular and constant basis because that helps to keep them in process and in progress. Because I would never expect a client to, to go somewhere within themselves that I haven't been willing to go within myself. It's, it's not how I like to, to offer my healing work. There's something about showing people what it looks like to do the work as opposed to just telling them they have to do the work. Mm -hmm. And I think you can get all of that in just a simple conversation of asking a healer about their own practice and how they got into it mm -hmm. or what they even specialize in. If they have multiple healing modalities, how do they address that with each client, knowing that each person is an individual and might need a combination of things? Mm -hmm. This is all so interesting. I feel like I should be taking notes too. <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to listen to this one back for sure. Um, I want to know as well, so giving all of this energy to others that you do through your healing, how do you recharge for yourself? My practice is a great way to recharge because I'm not using my own energy. I'm basically just acting as a portal or a channel or um, a median between something greater, universal consciousness, and the earthly physical realm. So it's kind of like constantly being in a state of meditation, of being in connection with something greater or calling on your higher self. And that's a beautiful place and personally my favorite place to be in. Um, there, are, there are times where I can tell I've um, been giving myself to others more than I've been giving to myself. Mm -hmm. And that's where I start to really need my own healing work because I live my work. I use these healing techniques on myself all day, every day. Mm -hmm. I'm constantly curious about why I'm doing this, why I'm thinking that, why this feeling is arising and what that's really telling me about myself. So in order to recharge, I need to have days off. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean days off where I'm doing computer work. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> it's, it's days off where I'm in pleasure and joy and fun mm -hmm. in living. Because in order to continuously 
keep going into the depths of healing or the dark places. I need to be going high as well Mm -hmm. because that expands the spectrum in my capacity to feel on both ends. Otherwise, we forget why we're really doing this dirty work, Mm -hmm. (laughs) why we're doing the deep healing. It has to be because we want to expand our depth of joy in life. Mm -hmm. And that these dark places or traumatic experiences are preventing us from doing that. Mm-hmm. So I find a lot of solace in being in nature, in making my own herbal concoctions and uh, wild crafted medicine, because mm-hmm. I do medicine as well. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I like being by the ocean. I need to be by a coast. Mm-hmm. I always name Mother Ocean, just those like constantly rolling waves and the smell. It's such a battery recharger for me. Mm -hmm. And journaling. I need to be checking in with myself, making sure that um, I'm still giving myself the opportunity to be heard as an individual, at least with myself. Um, while I am focusing on helping others reach their own true potential. Um, and ultimately, I need sleep. Mm-hmm. Sleep is a great way to reach <laughs> yes. <our marriage>. yes. <laughs> Sleep is, is so underrated in many respects oh, as is. just like a quick fix and that it can be replaced with five cups of coffee. No. And it can't. It never could sustain that. And sleep is where our subconscious talks to us. Mm -hmm. And that's where we grow in our intuitive abilities or our intuition grows. Mm -hmm. And so we need to be sleeping and hitting that REM cycle and going into those dream states in order to keep gaining clarity and understanding of what we need. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that you said expanding your depth of joy. Like that is pure gold Um, because I feel like we often think of joy as just kind of this stagnant place like, oh, yeah, we're happy. But there's always more. There's always more joy to be to be had to be tapped into. So I love that idea of expanding your depth of joy. So good. Um, (laughs) So I can't believe how fast time has flown. I I could talk to you forever. (laughs) Yeah, we definitely need a part two. We love you so much. Um, Thank you so much for talking to us. Um, But where can people find you if they're interested in reaching out? Yes, my website is uh, holds most of my information, um, as well as free meditative and healing experiences that you can do at home in your bed. So my website is path light healing, like lighting the path dot com. And um, I'm also on social media, but it's a crazy time out there. Social media is quite exhausting. Mm -hmm. So I'm not on there on a regular basis. But Mm -hmm. you can find me mostly on Instagram at Pathlight Healing. Mm -hmm. And you have the most beautiful. So for anyone listening, I had the absolute pleasure of going to my first ever sound bath experience. Mm -hmm. Um, And you had the most beautiful laid out crystals and I don't even know what you call it but it was beautiful and I love that you featured that on your Instagram they're just stunning thank you yes um 
the altars that I make for my crystal bowl sound healing Mm -hmm. are to amplify the vibrations. You know, beauty is a very high vibration and love is the highest vibration. And when we are constantly steeped in beauty, we're already resonating with love. I love that. Well, I don't think we could end on an any better note than that um so for anyone out there if you want to connect with us we're at detox and chill podcast on instagram you can find us on facebook we have um, a secret facebook group that's just a really supportive community we love to talk about some of these deeper topics that we talk about on the podcast and it's just a really safe space for anyone to share how they're feeling um and yeah we just love to hear from you so reach out find us and we will talk to you next week we love you guys bye